0: everybody to this week's episode of the heavy branches podcast i'm jacob and i'm tanner and
1: we are so excited to, to be diving into luke chapter 10 with you this week but before we go there how
0: was your week tanner my week was good got to start off the week preaching and uh i really enjoyed that time uh it was a great sunday got to preach at Estee and then i got to preach at uh the one of the uh nursing homes that we preach at oh that's and, cool and uh yeah, we, we get to do that. We kind of have a rotation going, so I get to go there every once in a while, and that was nice. And so,
1: Is that a Sunday evening thing? or?
0: Uh, it's at 2 on Sundays, 2 oh, to 3, okay. and then obviously Sunday night church as well, which was good. And then that kind of was a great kickoff to the week, as Sundays normally are, and yeah. uh, then I I worked throughout the week. But it was a good week. How about you? Uh, it was good. What did you preach on this week? I preached on uh, – the sin of unbelief spawned. I told you not. Uh, I told you a couple weeks ago that I was going to do a study and a set of sermons at some point on the sins of the Pharisees. Yeah. I haven't done the series, but I did start a good bit of study and uh, ended up preaching on the sin of unbelief based out of uh, the. Negative example that the Pharisees set, so it was, it was, uh, it was good. I, I enjoyed the study and enjoyed preaching it. So, so. is that what you preached at Glenesti and at the nursing home? Yeah, I preached. Uh, you preach a very condensed sermon at the nursing home because, like, fifteen twenty minutes normally at the nursing home. Do but. you feel like it was received pretty well there? Yeah, I um, feel like
1: that'd be a, an int- an interesting like a unique setting to preach in. It is.
0: Um, they. They come from a lot of backgrounds. So, you know, you see when you say something that somebody doesn't agree with. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was well received. So, good.
1: Uh, my week's been good. Uh, I know for several weeks here on the podcast, we talked about in our marker calendar section the Grissom refuel event. Yeah. So I was at that ever uh, over the weekend. Uh, it, it went really well. I got sick one night, which. Kind of stunk, but other than that, it, it went really well. Got to hear some great preaching, uh, meet up with friends that hadn't seen in a while, and uh, Chris Ponshot was there, so I know you know oh, Chris. Yeah, Chris. I, I've met him in person one or two other times, but we never really had a chance to talk. I think it was at, like, graduation maybe. Yeah. And so I got to spend an hour or so one night talking with him, and so it was good to get to, to see some people I've seen a lot over Zoom you know, but not in person, but. Yeah, that's good. I also preached, uh, I was up at uh, Buffalo Christian Church up in northern Indiana, which wasn't too far from Grissom, so that went well. Uh, preaching again this Sunday up real close to you in uh, Batavia. Yeah. In Ohio this week. Yeah, I think you're going to spend the night with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've preached a bunch of, at a bunch of churches in Kentucky, obviously. I've preached at three or four in Indiana now, so. This will be my first sermon in Ohio. That'll so be fun. I can mark it out my third state off that I've preached in. Are you gonna try and hit all fifty? Who? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I don't. I've, I've never thought about it, but we'll see. That, that huh? would be interesting. But um. My
0: my week's been good. That's good. I'm glad to hear. it. Glad you're preaching too. It's uh, an honor and a privilege every time, and I know we both enjoy it a lot. So for sure. Uh, we want to remind you of. Some other mark your calendar calendar things, obviously Grissom was this past weekend, but uh, Louisville Bible College, there's a module coming up December 1st and 2nd, um, it is $25 a credit hour for, I think a 25 to audit, 50 to audit, hour. yeah, so a credit hour, it's two, so it'd be 50 total for audit, but right. uh, 50 a credit hour for like a, a, a regular degree or regular credit. Um, And then also the LBC semester starts January 15th. Then just before the LBC semester starts, there is a um, leadership seminar hosted by person-to-person. That's January 11th and 12th. And if you would like more information on that, you can find it at the website, P2P, the number, the number two, P2PM.org, P2PM.org, and that'll, you will see all of person-to-person's, like, plans over the next year, I think, including Hillsborough Family Camp and all of those things, but that leadership leadership seminar is coming up there in in January, and it's going to be led by, um, oh, Jeff Fall, and uh, he is... Uh, an incredible mind to, 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 say the least. Um, he, and, pre- he preached at Grissom,
1: uh, yeah. over the weekend I was there. He did really good. So that, that'll be a good event. I think I might
0: try to, to be at that one. Are you going to go? Yeah, I plan on going to that. Uh, I think it'll be very helpful to anybody that is a leader or aspires to be a leader, uh, in the church. Um, now as we hop into Luke, um, just a reminder, please, 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 please be in the Word yourself. Um, I know it's very easy to be in the habit of just listening to somebody else talk and not actually reading for yourself. But Whether it's a podcast or just at church. At church, listening to a sermon, listening to another podcast, what, what reading something, whatever it is, don't just skim over it. You know, really read it. Make sure that you're reading the truth for yourself and not just taking everybody else's word for it. Um, So read Luke chapter 10. That's what we're hopping into today. Remember that in the last chapters, uh, the last chapter's main focus was coming to the end of yourself in order to fully commit uh, and serve Christ. Coming to the end of yourself in order to fully commit and to serve Christ. So, as we hop into Luke chapter 10, let's continue to grow together. This chapter has 42 verses. This is a a short one for Luke. uh, And my chapter title for this week is actually a question. And the question is, what is good? What is good? And as we go through this chapter, we're going to find out the answer to that. We're going to find out what the answer to what is good. So let's hop into our key thoughts. Um, The first thing, very first verse, we see that, you know, last chapter, Jesus sent out his 12, right? Mm -hmm. And they go out, they do their thing. This chapter, it starts off with Jesus sending out 70. 70 people. And I think a lot of people are get into this thought process that he only ever had 12 followers. Some people get in the thought process, okay, they had 12 and Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Um, you know, there's a lot of confusion on the amount of people that, pe- the amount of people that actually did serve and follow Jesus. Well, we have a number here of 70 plus the 12, and I'm sure there was more than this. Um, But this is a number that we give, and it's 70 others are sent out in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. The places he was heading, he sends people out ahead of him to go ahead and start preaching. Prepare the way. Yeah. Um, Then the other thing that we see in that verse, uh, there's two things. The second thing I, I wanted to point out is this thing of the rule of two. And I, I smile because if you're a Star Wars fan, <laughs> if you're a Star Wars fan, your mind probably thought about the the um, Sith rule of two, which is where it, there's always at least two, or there's always two Sith, there's never just one and there's not supposed to be more than two. It's always two. So for those of us that don't watch Star Wars, what what is a Sith? It's the bad guys. The bad guys. Okay. Yeah. So they like, if you get rid of one, there's always two. And so if you get rid of one, the one that's left probably is going to get another one. Like <laughs> there's always okay. two. Is is the is this is the thing? But for this, you know, we're not talking about bad guys here. We're talking about something different. Jesus sent out seventy. Um, in pairs, so 35 pairs is kind of the idea we get here, and so Jesus sent them out in pairs, and the interesting thing is, not only did Jesus send them out in pairs, but when we get into Acts, and we find Paul doing his missionary journeys, he went out on his missionary journeys with Barnabas, and then later on with Silas, Um, and so... It's important for us to realize that this rule of two, I think was more than just a numbers thing or that's how it worked out. I think it was, it's recorded in there for a reason. Yeah. And it's, it is beneficial for us and for those that we come into contact with that we have a fellow believer with us. Um, it is helpful for things of accountability, for encouragement, for companionship, um, and and many more things. But you know, don't try to do everything on your own. That's not that. I mean, that's the opposite of the purpose of the church. We're supposed to come together as a church and do things together. So you know, don't don't carry such burdens on your on your own on your own shoulders. Find someone that you can trust uh, for holding you accountable and encouraging you and, and building you up in, in the scriptures and, and for good solid companionship. I I think that's an important lesson to learn from that. Now we get into uh, something that's probably been heard quite often, the 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 Lord of the harvest the lord of the harvest. Uh, And I just want to go ahead and read verse 2. It says, And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his harvest. So, the first thing that we kind of talked about is the fact that Jesus is telling them to pray for this thing very specifically. And I know you wanted to touch on that a little bit. Well, something you had mentioned that I, I didn't quite
1: catch, but I believe you said this is possibly the first time as we've gone through it that we see Jesus tell them, tell his disciples to pray specifically for something.
0: Yeah, I mean, we see examples of Jesus praying himself. We see, I mean, he does it quite a bit. Um, and then in the next chapter, we'll get to that next week. But then he teaches them how to pray because they ask him. But right. but here he is being very intentional about pray for this. And, you know, what's our mission today? Um, our mission is to go make disciples. And we do that through the way that we live our lives bearing fruit. And so... I, th- I mean this is this is something very specific Jesus is telling him to pray for and it falls right in line with our mission do you think that that this
1: has lost its importance in the church today this idea of
0: of praying for the lord to send out laborers into his harvest I think it has because I think people don't understand it because even the people that do pray it I feel like I'm not and then I'm not, I'm not putting everybody in this category, but there are quite a few people that I've heard pray this, but I'm not even sure they understand what they're praying. Um so where do you think the misunderstanding lies? Well, the starting point is the fact that Jesus isn't talking to people sitting in a pew that don't do anything do anything for the <laughs> for the kingdom. Okay. He's talking to people that are already being sent out, actively doing the work, and Jesus is like, as they're doing the work, pray for more. Pray for help in that, not pray for somebody else to go do it. Yeah, because he already told them the laborers are few. They're in verse
1: 2, so it's not the idea of, you know, the harvest is plentiful. You know, there's a world out there that is lost and needs to come to a knowledge of the truth. the people are there, it's just the laborers are few. Yeah. So are we accomplishing anything if... We're not actively being a laborer, but we're praying for God to send out more laborers. God, go send out somebody to go talk to these these lost people because I'm sure I'm not going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, so those actually doing the labor are the ones that are to ask for more help. Um, so They're not stationary. Yeah, so here's why I asked you if you think it's lost its importance today.
1: I would say that it has. Uh, I, I know you're in a located ministry right now. So pretty much every, almost every Sunday, you know, you're at Glen Estee, you're, you're teaching the youth, you're preaching on a, on somewhat of a regular occasion, what, you once a month? Uh, I mean, it probably averages out to about that. So my point is, is you're kind of, you're working with the same congregation all the time. Well, this past year, year and a half, where I've been doing a lot of fill-in preaching and I'm at, I've, I've lost count now, but it's, that's something like I've been at somewhere between 10 and 15 different congregations in Kentucky, three or four in Indiana, and this Sunday I'll be in my first one in Ohio, as I mentioned earlier. But something that I found really interesting is I always try to grab a bulletin when I'm there preaching so I can look at their bulletin kind of see what's going on. And something that's in a lot of bulletins is a list of prayer requests. And I'm, I'm sure that's in your guys' bulletin. That, yep. That's in the bulletin at the... My home, my home church, the Sherman Church of Christ, we have a list of prayer requests in the bulletin. And I think that's a great a great thing to have in the bulletin. So, you know, the the congregation can take it home and have some reminders of things to pray for during the week. I think that's great. <laughs> but something that I've noticed at almost every single congregation that I've been to is the prayer list is nothing more than these people are sick, these people are hurt. Uh, I've noticed a few different congregations have um, different people that either used to go to that church or maybe friends or family of people that go to their church and they're in the active military. That's a a cool thing to pray for. I've noticed that in a few different congregations. I can't remember off the top of my head a single congregation that had this in in their bulletin on their prayer, prayer list. Pray to the Lord of the Harvest to send out labors because the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. I think so far, too far, too often, our prayers become consumed with only matters of the physical realm, if you will, about people that are hurt and sick. And and, and we also see other places in Scripture, you know, we, we are supposed to pray for people that are hurt and sick, and God, it God can, can heal them and help give them comfort. But, I really do believe this has lost its importance and its significance today because the problem certainly still there. We're da- we're we're certainly still in a world where the harvest is plentiful. We we don't live in a country or, or even in a state as Kentucky or Indiana or wherever you're listening to this from. This the, the same problem is still here today. The harvest is still plentiful. There is still a a whole bunch of people out there that are lost and and need to come to the truth but the problem is still the same the laborers are few. I mean you and I are are have committed to do ministry with our lives and I know some sometimes we'll go on different bible college websites or on the CRA and look at open ministries and there's probably 50 churches <laughs> in a 20-mile circle in any state in the country that need a preacher. Yeah, I mean so many, so
0: many churches. And this
1: thing about the laborers being few—that's not just like preachers and youth ministers and missionaries. That's just Christians that are willing to go out and be a laborer
0: and and go to the lost. And that makes me think of something. You know, I'm going to say something that's probably somewhat controversial, and I don't know if we've said this on the podcast. Welcome, welcome to the Christian faith. <laughs> I don't know if uh, I don't know if this is. We may have said this before on the podcast. I can't remember. But the reality is that if you say you're a Christian and you have the, if you can't tell somebody else why you are a Christian and how to become a Christian, then you have some serious soul searching to do about whether you are a Christian yourself. Say that one more time. If you, if you say you're a Christian and you can't tell somebody else why you're a Christian and how to become a Christian, then you have some serious soul-searching to do about whether or not you're actually a Christian. Can I add one
1: more thing onto that? Go ahead. While, while we're on this uh, controversial horse, <laughs> if, you go to, if you go to tell somebody how you became a Christian— but you can't point in the Bible and say, look, this is how people in the Bible became a Christian. Maybe you also have some, some searching to do on if you really are a Christian or not, if you're, your coming to Christ was legitimate. If, if I'm going to say that I'm a Christian, and I'm also going to say that this book here that I'm holding is God's word and that it's authoritative over us and it's completely perfect and is inspired and God-breathed, If there, I see how people became a Christian in God's book, that's His word. We ought to be doing it the same way today, and and I I fear that that's not the case among a lot of
0: a lot of churches. Yeah the the why you became a Christian and the how to become a Christian are not your opinion. They're right here, and if you're telling somebody either of those things and it's not based here. Then, then that's a problem you know
1: I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll just go ahead and say it I don't I don't say this to condemn to condemn anyone I say this because I want to challenge you to e- examine your personal faith and see if how you became a Christian lines up with God's word I've looked and I've looked and I've looked and I hear people tell me all the time that they became a Christian by asking Jesus into their heart I haven't found that in here and I've read through the New Testament multiple times, I've, I've looked for it, I've used Bible concordances that I have sitting over there on that shelf, and I've used Bible concordances on the internet, and I've tried to find that. I can't find anywhere, one single time, where a person goes to, to an apostle or, or a disciple or someone, and they want to become a Christian, and they're told, ask Jesus into your heart and you'll be saved. I can't find that. Yeah, that's definitely not faith by any means. But I think the reason we bring this up, the reason you brought up, if you're legitimately a Christian, you you ought to be able to tell someone why you became a Christian and how you became a Christian and then and so how they also can become a Christian. The reason we bring this up or the reason I think you're bringing this up is a lot of times we overcomplicate sharing our faith and Being a laborer and going out to the lost, because we think we've got to know, we've got to be able to quote every Bible verse there is, and we've got to have every answer to every problem or or question that atheists or agnostic people might have, and we, we scare ourselves out of it because we think, well, I'm not good enough, I don't know enough to really go out and be a laborer for the lost. I'm not an expert in religious things. We'll, we'll leave that to the experts, leave that to the preachers and the teachers and the youth ministers and the missionaries. That's that's their area of expertise. That's what they've studied. But that's not what we see in the scripture. You know, at the end of the, the gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives his uh, disciples the great commission, you know, go out into the world and Uh, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And people like to actually debate whether that Great Commission was just for the twelve there that he was talking to, or if that was for all Christians. Well, that's kind of a stupid debate, because even if it was just for the twelve, a part of that was to teach them everything he had commanded them, (laughs) <laughs> and he had just commanded them to go make disciples, so then it, it yeah. applies to everybody in the end anyways.
0: Yeah. And I, this is also an important thing to add to this sharing. And uh, all of this revo- revolves around praying for the Lord of the harvest uh, and us being involved in that process, not just asking somebody else to do it. But the other thing is when you're talking to somebody, the The first thing that they have to believe for themselves is that God exists, and if they're not on the same page on that, that's your starting point. And that is, uh, if you can't talk to somebody about wh- why God exists, if if you don't believe that yourself, okay, that's also <laughs> another problem. Yeah, but. You know, talk to somebody about that. If they won't if they refuse to believe it, that's not on you. Right. You've you have done your part in presenting the gospel which starts with the foundational pieces of God exists, Jesus exists, and Jesus resurrected. Those, those are your, your 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 pillars, your your foundational you know if if they can't get on the same page with those things they're not going to believe anything else you say so that's your starting point but again if they refuse those things it's not on you you've done your part you have gone out to share the gospel message which is what we've been commanded to do and and i think people get
1: this false idea sometimes that if they go out and try to share their faith and they and they share it and then the person they're talking to doesn't become a Christian because of it right away. They think that they have failed. Yeah, and that's that's not a failure, guys. I, I want to encourage you guys with that. We just talked about a couple weeks ago the parable of the sower, right? And so Jesus tells us parable of the sower goes out to sow seed, and there are four different kinds of soils, and only one kind, well, only one soil was good soil, and the the plant grew. And then we, we also reference in that episode, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, it says, Paul planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the growth. As Christians, when we are going out to the lost and trying to, to convert people to Christianity, whether we are a success or a failure does not depend on how they respond to what we tell them. Us being a success or a failure depends on if we go out and, and give them the opportunity to to hear or not,
0: yeah, and and I won't lie, I've been in ministry now. <clears throat> well, I'm, I guess by definition, I've been in ministry longer, but I've been at Estee for almost five years. I think now. The first six months of my ministry, I I felt like I had no idea what I was doing. I wasn't having an impact. It was discouraging. Then there was like a year where it was like once a month, I felt like. I had several people coming to me. They they were understanding the gospel message, and they wanted to respond to it. Right. Since then, so we're talking three and a half years, I have felt like I've just been in a drought where everything I'm doing, I mean, I, at times I have felt like everything I'm doing is meaningless because it is very discouraging. But you have, we have to remember what we're talking about. It's the it it's their choice at the end of the day, and we have to just trust God in it and do our part. Yeah. And when we do our part, um, obviously you, we can always do better. But when we do our part, you know, that's that's what we've been called to do. You
1: know, that's that phrase that we're all all christians look forward to hearing from jesus come the end well done good and faithful servant yeah i'm, I'm really thankful that that doesn't say well done good and successful servant <laughs> because i think from if you look at it from a, a perspective of okay how many converts did this christian make in their life there's a lot of faithful christians that we probably wouldn't consider successful I mean, the prophet Jeremiah preached to Israel for 40 years to repent, and the nation never repented. That doesn't mean he was a failure. He he was faithful to what his his calling was from God, was to preach to Israel, hey, if you guys don't turn and repent, destruction is coming. Yeah, And he preached that for 40 years, and they never listened. But Jeremiah was faithful. And so th- that doesn't mean he was a failure, because his success didn't depend on the, pe- the people he was preaching to, to repent and to change, his success was on, was he faithful to what God wanted him to do or not? And for each and every person that is a Christian, in the time that the Gospel of Luke was written and, and, to- and today, like we said, the problem is still the same. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are still few. And if you're <laughs> a Christian, God, ha- God has commanded you and wants you to go share your faith Whether or not people respond or not, that's between them and God. But if we're going to be faithful to what God wants us to do as Christians, we've got
0: to go out and and be a laborer. Yeah, and we keep kind of beating on this subject, but I've got one last thing to add to this. What God expects us to share with people is the true message of the gospel and there is a a long time habit and this mindset that we have to develop something greater and better in in a cultural sense in order for people to to want to listen and hear it um and more often than not that that ends up being a situation where they deny the truth or uh, quit teaching the truth for the sake of getting people to hear the message. But if you're changing the message of the gospel so that people listen, guess what? You're not sharing the gospel. Right. If you can do nothing else, the, the first and primary thing, I, I, I would encourage you all to ignore everything else. For the sake of the truth, I, I, I by no means am a good youth minister. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, it is very hard for me to teach high schoolers because I, for whatever reason, it's, it, is, it is difficult for me to relate the gospel to, to their lives i don't i don't know why that is hard for me but it is but because i have continually taught the truth those that have heard it and responded to it i am confident have salvation in jesus christ right because i haven't sacrificed the truth for making sure that i have everybody's attention hmm. um
1: so we mentioned the parable of the sower and I, I know we spent a lot of time here on this. The harvest is plentiful, but laborers are few. Verse, but I think there's a lot of really important stuff here for the church today, especially with the whole the whole idea and goal of this podcast was so, was to encourage Tanner and I, so we can encourage each other to, to bear fruit, and so that we could help encourage you guys to bear fruit. And this is certainly one of the one of the ways we can bear fruit is by making converts from the lost. And so that's why I think it's okay we spend a little extra time here today. But the parable of the sower, right? So my grandpa is a farmer. Yeah. And I don't know if you have farmers in your family or not, but farmers and farming is just it. It's an illustration that's used a lot in the gospels that Jesus uses to teach because a lot of the people in that culture and time period could relate to it and understand. If my grandpa, right? So he, they they grow a lot of corn. Yeah. If my grandpa went out. Uh, next planting season and didn't plant any corn seeds. He only he only planted, you know, tomatoes or, or whatever else. No corn seeds. What What's his reaction going to be when harvest time comes but there's no corn to gather, to reap? <laughs> Is he going to be surprised? Shouldn't be. He shouldn't be, right? He didn't plant any corn seeds. He's not going to be able to gather any corn. Well, I think... A lot of times, churches are surprised, confused. They don't understand why church is such a a minority place today where uh, a large majority of the outsiders don't want anything to do with church. They, They don't want anything to do with spiritual things. We can't get them to come to the building for services. The harvest is plentiful, but if we're not planting anything, there's not going to be a harvest to gather. Think, think, think about that in the context of people that you may know, friends and family that aren't yet Christians. I'd, <laughs> I'd say you want to see them become a Christian. You want to reap that harvest. Not in a selfish sense to say, oh, I converted them. But because you want to see them have salvation in Christ. You want to see them have the, the hope of heaven. You want to know that their eternity is secure. But if you never plant any seeds in them, <laughs> the harvest is not going to come. F- we, uh, farmers understand that. My grandpa would not be surprised if he planted no corn seeds and then there was no corn come harvest time. But how often do we neglect planting the gospel in people that we know that need it, but then we're surprised when, when no harvest comes?
0: Yeah, and the The stationary Christian. I heard, I heard this story uh, this week. Actually, it was interesting. I think it was one of those AI generated things with uh, typed in voice, whatever. Oh, like behind a, it. a
1: TikTok video or something.
0: Yeah, I, I don't remember what I was on, but I was I saw it, and it was just this real short clip, and it said, uh, "A man walked into the church with his wife, and his uh, he forgot to turn his ringer off." And his phone went off, and a bunch of people around him were scowling at him. And um, on the way out, uh, somebody said something to him and scolded him for it and talked about how disrespectful he was. And so he left the church. His wife was, you know, on him all the way home the rest of the day. And then he proceeded to go to a bar that night. And while he was at the bar, he, you know, he's upset and he has a drink and he drops the glass and breaks the glass on accident. And the barkeeper's real kind to him, cleans him up, gets him another drink, and everybody around him is, like, trying to pick him up. And the guy never goes back to church again because he was treated like crap by the church when he made a mistake. But then when he's out in the world – you know, Satan is very good at blinding people, but the church is also very good at being Satan themselves at times when somebody makes a mistake. And, uh, you know, it's, it's the stationary people that aren't willing to be part of the harvest that are often the people that wind up being like that. Yeah, I think sometimes we can push people away
1: from Christ more so than we can kind of build bridges for them to get to him and that's something we ought to be thinking about when a phone goes off in the middle of church or there's a crying baby in the back or somebody comes in in clothes that are maybe a little ripped up or torn or not as nice as the guy next to him and if people are getting treated better out at bars and in the world than they are in in the church building that they or rather they're in the church building or not by church people People that are Christians, that's that's a major problem.
0: And I'm not saying that we need to tickle ears and, 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 you know, allow things to happen. But you have to understand, when people aren't saved by Christ yet, they don't understand. And that's besides the point that a phone going off in service is pretty insignificant anyway. Yeah. Um, so, anyway... Um, you got anything else on that before we move on through the chapter?
1: I guess the last thing is there was an, uh, one more farming analogy that popped in my head with with this whole thing, and you kind of were hinting on it earlier that you have not first forsook the truth during your time as a youth minister. Tried you've, to. <laughs> you've pre- preached the truth to them to the best of your ability, and because of that, you've you have seen some some converts and. Uh, you said, you know, you may not always be the best, best youth minister, but, you know, if you stick to the gospel, you stick to planting the seed of the gospel and, and the word of God into people. When it hits the right soil, it is going to grow. And go, going back to the analogy of my grandpa being a farmer, when he plants uh, corn seeds, they're never, they're never going to grow a tomato plant. Mm. And if you plant tomato seeds, they're never going to grow corn. So what, what are we planting in the people? We, there's only one thing that we can plant in the people that is going to grow Christians, if you will. And that's going to be the gospel, the word of God. We, we love to talk about our favorite sports teams. And I, I love sports. Many of you probably know that. Football, basketball, baseball. Yeah, he's wearing his Bengals hat. <laughs> um, I, I love to talk about sports, and I don't think it's a bad thing. But if the only thing I like to talk about is sports, and I'm neglecting planting anything else into people other than my uh, very strong opinions about sports, I'm, I'm never going to reap a harvest. But if we're intentional about planting the seed of the gospel in the people, eventually we're going to hit the right soil. But even if we don't, even if the right soil never comes along, we have still been faithful to what God has got, what God wants us to do. Yeah. That—that's—that's, that's, I guess, the last thing I'll have to say about the
0: the Lord of the Harvest. So, what is good? Uh, sharing the gospel message, being part of the harvest, and praying for more workers. As we go on from there, um, looking at verses ten through fifteen. We see this very, I'm going to say strong, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Condemnation, almost, of those that reject the gospel message. And so the question I have is, why is it worse to reject Jesus and let me, just, let me just read a little bit of what Jesus says. Verse 12, I say to you, it will be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the miracles had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will be brought down to Hades. The one who listens to you listens to me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects the one who sent me. At this point in time, Tyre, Sidon, um, Sodom, and Gomorrah, they've been destroyed in in, in you know, in the, in the past. Right. And Israel knows this because of their unbelief, because no, yeah, that's why yeah, be, because of their unbelief, the, because of the rejection of the prophets that God sent and, and would have preached to them. Mm-hmm. But now those they're gone. And Jesus is saying, what's going to happen to you that reject me, that reject Jesus, that reject the gospel is much worse than even what they will endure on Judgment Day. Because Jesus, he, he is the finale of God's redemptive plan. Hmm, I like that. He is the finale of God's redemptive plan, and to reject Jesus is to reject God, is to reject the Father, is it's, to uh, reject salvation.
1: We see in Hebrews and Colossians that Jesus is the exact representation of God. And so there's, you know, the prophets delivered messages from God and that was a that was valid, but the the clearest picture and the most exact representation we see of of who God
0: is is seen in Christ. Yeah, so to blatantly refuse the gospel, it, you know, that's that's just selfishness. Selfish desires are are, are overruling um you your life. And so what is good? Jesus is good. And he is far greater than um than anything and that includes what we find in the next verse verse 17 for the 70 returned with joy saying lord even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus is good and is far greater than even the demons. Um and the truth is, Jesus is Lord of everything. <laughs> and millions of people today just just don't get it. But the reality is that Jesus is Lord of everything, whether people want to admit it or not, and they're going to find out. Um, yeah, there will be a day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess
1: Christ is Lord.
0: Yeah. So the 70 come back and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And then Jesus says, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serp- serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. So what is good? What's important? Don't rejoice in authority. Don't rejoice in, you know, this... He's telling them, don't rejoice in this special power that I have granted you. Rejoice in the fact that because you have humbled yourself and and are in service to me, your name is written down in heaven. Mm. Um, Yeah,
1: I love that. Rejoice because your name is... Is written down or is recorded in heaven? I, I couldn't tell you a more a more comforting and a more just. It, there, there's nothing greater than knowing that. Yeah, and having all the confidence in the world that you know because of what we see in the Bible, we can know whether or not our name is recorded in heaven or not. We can, we can know if we have salvation. It's not this matter of I hope I lived good enough and by the end of my life I hope I was moral enough to make it it's 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 a very comf- comforting thing to know to know if your name is recorded in heaven and and we can know that and I'm I'm so thankful for that that's certainly a reason to rejoice
0: yeah rejoice in the opportunity to serve and in the promise of heaven um what it takes to rejoice what it takes to recognize that is that we have to have humility we have to have humility and we've talked about that several times on the podcast but jesus kind of emphasizes that here in verses 21 through 24 um i just i'll just read verses 23 and 24 turning to the disciples he said privately blessed are The eyes which see the things you see, for I say to you that many prophets and kings wish to see the things which you see and did not see them, and to hear the things which you hear and did not hear them. Humility is not negotiable as uh, somebody that wants to be of the faith. It is essential that we humbly recognize how we desperately need the Lord. That's what the, the the prophets and kings that Jesus is speaking of, that's what they weren't quite grasping. They desperately need the Lord. And without him, we are lost. Um, but those that were humbly serving him, those that were seeing, that's what they realized. That's what they were understanding. And so, you know... Uh, um, we kind of get into this thing of of a childlike faith part of that childlike faith is um, a child recognizes that they can't survive without their parents <laughs> whether they can say that verbally or not is irrelevant they know okay i, I need my mom and dad they're,
1: de- they're dependent
0: yeah. not independent and you know so that that is a important aspect of having a childlike faith It's so far, it's so hard for us to let go of our pride and the things that we want. Um, So we need to pay attention to how we talk. We need to pay attention to how other people talk. People people always, I, I hate this, I hate this phrasing, but people are always talking about how they need to work on themselves and their faith. They need to work on themselves and their faith, but the problem is, a major part of the problem is they're too focused on themselves. If they weren't so focused on themselves, they would be more focused on God, which is where they should be, and, you know, they, they wouldn't feel that way most of the time. I mean, I'm not saying that everybody that says that is like this, but a lot of times it's... They're so focused on themselves. They say things like, I need to go work on myself. I need to work on my faith. But they're focused on themselves more than they are on God. Yeah. And that's not humility. That's pride. We saw in the last chapter, Jesus
1: says, if anyone wants to be my disciple, what do you got to do? Not work on yourself. Deny yourself. Yeah. Daily.
0: So... Then, verses, I'll I'll ask this question again. What is good? What is good is humility. Humility. Um, Then, verses 25 through 29, um, there's a lawyer that steps up, and uh, a lot of times the lawyers and the Pharisees are very closely connected. Um, This is... The
1: the lawyer would have been an expert in the law. Yeah. Like the Pharisees would
0: have been. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it says Pharisees and lawyers, or, but um, this guy, I guess, wasn't necessarily a Pharisee, but like Jake said, he was an expert in the law. I think another word you sometimes is a, a scribe. Yeah, um, yeah. Those they would have copied the law often, so they would have known it very well. Um, so the lawyer steps are up and asks Jesus an important question, a question that we should all. Ask, and if you're a Christian, you should know the answer to, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds uh, with a question, and the guy says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, "You've You've answered correctly. Do this, do this, and you will live. So knowing the right answer wasn't good enough. He had to actually do it and act on it. Yeah, there's a significant difference in speaking and doing. We don't get to add fine details. Um, that was a bad habit of the Pharisees and the lawyers as they would add details to the law so that they could like make loopholes.
1: That happened after
0: Jesus ascended to uh, the Galatians. Might, might have been able to tell you a thing or two about that. What God asks us to do is meet the expectations. God expects a heart of love, willing to sacrifice for everyone. He expects us to meet the full expectation of the law. Why? Why is it a habit that we always need to find a loophole? <laughs> um, I mean, there's there's so much argument about about drinking and and it it's that thing of when you tell a kid not to touch something and they get as close as they possibly can without touching it just to like spite the parent or whoever told them not to touch it.
1: Don't touch the stove. And they're up there getting as close as they can.
0: And then, Oh, they're, they're too close and it's hot. So they, pull do away. you think that that pleases God? Like it, do people actually think that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm saying people, I'm guilty of it too. I do it. So I, I have done that in my life multiple times and I will do it more where I get close to it, but I don't grab it.
1: Tiptoe the line and start putting your leg over, but don't put your foot down on the other side of the line.
0: There's no need. Like, I, I wish I could ingrain it in my own mind. There's no need for that. Like just obey what the scriptures say. Well the Bible tells us to,
1: to flee from the very appearance of evil. And I don't know that what verse is off, off the top of my head, so you can you guys can look it up and check me on it. But it's in there to stay away from not just evil, but even the the appearance of evil. We just get, we
0: get, we get so caught up in like the specifics of things and it's like that's not the point of the of the command anyway. The point is having a heart for God and not for ourselves. And if you if we're trying to skirt that line, we're more concerned about ourselves than we are actually about God.
1: Well, we through, through the New Testament and through the Gospels, we see like Jesus is teaching on on adultery. He said, "It's not just adultery if you do the act. It's if you even look at another woman lustfully." Yeah. It's not just the act happening, it's the intention of the heart, is what
0: Jesus is care, what he cares about. So just remember, there is a difference between speaking and doing, and what God expects us to do is obey the full intention and and expectation and foundation of the command, and in this case. In the case of the lawyer, the full intention of love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and love the, your neighbor as yourself is he expects a heart of love willing to sacrifice for God and for everyone, hmm. not just whom you like. You know, I kind of speculate
1: a little here, so take this with a grain of salt, but you get down to verse 29 you know, right after the, the lawyer tells Jesus, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I would speculate that he had that part down. Um, But then you get to this thing of loving your neighbor as yourself, and if you look at how verse 29 is worded, it says in the New American Standard, but wishing to justify himself. He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So he went to kind of build off what you're saying here. He wasn't concerned with... Just loving others, period. Didn't matter who it was, love others. Now, he was concerned with, well, I think I can follow that. I think I can love my neighbor, but that would really depend on Jesus. How do you define that? Who is my neighbor? Just how many people can I love to get away with checking the mark on that on that command?
0: Yeah, he wasn't concerned about the heart of it. He was concerned about the specific and that's not the point. And Jesus even goes in as we get into a very popular um, um, account that Jesus speaks. Some people say it's a, a parable, but normally when it's a parable, it says it is, and this isn't one of those times. Um, so he he tells this story, this account of of the good Samaritan, and you know he's a lawyer. The guy asking the question to Jesus is a lawyer, and he would have been much like the Pharisees or the rest of the Jews that felt that um, anybody that wasn't a Jew was dirty scum, basically, <laughs> and that it, because they weren't a Jew, they didn't have to treat them like a neighbor. Yeah, They didn't have to love them. And Jesus is like, let me show you the opposite of this law, and he brings up two... Two different um, examples. We've got a priest and um, a, Levite. a Levite. Both of them should have known the law, and you know they. it's interesting. Uh, I read something that it kind of explained the road that um, they would have been on between Jerusalem and Jericho and how it would have worked. It would have been a very dangerous road, and it was likely that the Levite and the priest were either leaving Jerusalem from doing their duties or going to Jerusalem to do their duties of loving God. Yeah. And so they either had already done that or they were going to do that, but they completely disregarded loving their neighbor as they see this man on the side of the road and just, you know, oh, I'm just going to pa- let him die. Him by. Yeah. yeah. But then the Samaritan, who the Jews hated... Um, he followed that, you know, many, many Samaritans still held to, uh, uh, the, um, what am I, the laws of, of Judaism. And, you know, he had this heart of loving others. And so he helps this man and and goes out of his way to do it. I mean, it's a pretty significant, um, helping,
1: well he he bandaged he bandaged up his wounds well the first thing before he did anything else was he he saw him and he felt compassion and I, I, something I, I admire about the good Samaritan here is he didn't just feel that compassion and then be like oh man I feel really bad for that guy but I gotta get to the place I'm going you know he probably didn't go out on that road to be like, I wonder if I can find somebody to help today. Maybe he did. I'm I'm speculating a little, but I imagine he was on his way to go to go do something that he had planned to do and he still decided to sacrifice his time and go out of his way to act upon the compassion that he felt. He he goes up to the guy, bandaged up his wounds, he pour, pours oil and wine on him. He you know, he he gets him on his animal, takes him to an inn so that he can get taken care of. And he didn't stop there. He, he goes the next day and, and pays the innkeeper and says, take care of him, and whatever else you have to spend, when I come back, I'll repay you. So he, he bandages the guy's wounds, gets him to the inn, and pays for everything. To this guy, I, I would imagine he didn't even know before this day, all because he, he saw him in need, he felt compassion, And then he acted upon that. And I find that so interesting that that's how Jesus answered this lawyer's question. Because remember, the original question was, who is my neighbor? Jesus didn't say, well, everyone's your neighbor. you got to love everyone. Instead, he tells him a story about three different people, and only one of those people truly understood what it meant to love your neighbor as yourself. And so Jesus says, be like this guy. Be like the the Samaritan. It was someone who was... uh, completely how do I want to say this um, it wasn't somebody that he knew it wasn't someone that he probably would have said is his neighbor or his, or maybe even his friend but he saw someone he saw another human being in need he felt compassion he acted upon that compassion and met the needs went above and beyond and and in doing so proved himself to be a neighbor a good neighbor to the man and and so basically what Jesus is saying here is I don't need to tell you who your neighbor is if you're going to be if you're going to love your neighbor what that means is in any time you see someone in need in need any human being
0: you meet that need yeah so what is good a heart of love willing to sacrifice for anybody a caring and righteous heart is good a heart that doesn't just
1: feel compassion for someone in need and then shrug it off and continue to go with their, their plans for the day, but you act on that compassion. Yeah, I mean,
0: what is good is not based off of your heritage or your background. Um, and the reality is there's there's a connection to our own lives, very personal. We, in our sin, are the dead man, are the half-dead man on the side of the road and Jesus is like the good samaritan who shows mercy on us even though in our sin he doesn't know us you know in in heaven he if we were faithful he'll say i knew you yeah but but if he, he sends us out he'll say depart from me for i never knew you but he he sacrificed himself for us right and so he expects us he expects us to bear fruit by doing the same showing mercy in loving everybody. Um and we need to love, you know, as we said before, even through mistakes. The church isn't very good at that, but we need to get a lot better at it. Yeah. Um we also must practice the love of God and the love of people if we truly love God. You know, this is also a a teaching that this guy may the two the two the priest and the levite this lawyer he may kind of act like he loves God but if he's not loving people everyone then he's really not loving God. Um you know the lawyer in theory or by his words joined loving God and loving neighbors together but through this example, we see that because he wasn't acting on it, he really wasn't.
1: And what does Jesus teach us? He says, those who love me obey my commands. Yeah. So if we're going to love God, but try to be selective which with which other neighbors we love, we're not really loving God because we're not obeying his command to just meet the need when we see it, no matter who that other person is.
0: Yeah. Then the chapter ends with this these few verses on Mary and Martha, Um, and even here in just a few verses, there's importance, there's importance in every part of the Bible. We've talked about a lot of things that are good. But what we need to understand is that sometimes it's not just a difference between the good and the bad, but sometimes there is best over good. Sometimes you have to be able to know the more good thing, (laughs) if you want to say it that way. Sometimes you
1: can do the good thing but be wrong because you're neglecting the best thing, is I think what you're trying to get at.
0: And so let me read these few verses uh, that end the chapter. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary for Mary, has chosen the good part which shall not be taken away from her. <laughs> we worry so much about trivial things, about things that just don't matter. Um, we need to not worry about the trivial matters when it is a distraction from the main mission. Uh, let me just give an example. This summer we had the Ready Fest thing where uh, we we put together school supplies and backpacks for people in the area that it's are in a, need.
1: A ministry of the church you at in Glen Esty.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you know the goal is to meet a physical need by providing school supplies and also as an opportunity to share the gospel with the people that come to get the school supplies. Sure. Well we not only do that, but we also have some fun activities for the children, like um, um, some craft, like a craft booth and um, uh, face painting booth, and inflatables. Well, this year it was—we've done it three years now. This year, the inflatables were running late, like an hour late, and they got there like right as Ready Fest was starting. But because they were late everybody's, like, freaking out. Where are the inflatables? Where are the inflatables? And it just... It just was not that big of a deal. Obviously, it would have been disappointing for some of them because, you know, the children were probably excited that and they... It was,
1: it was probably advertised that there would be inflatables there. and
0: But what would have been a much bigger deal is if we didn't have the school supplies or didn't have the ability to share the gospel with those people. Right. We were freaking out about stuff that was just not that important, yet we would, no matter if the inflatable showed up or not, we still would have been able to meet the physical and spiritual needs of those people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'll give you another example. A church service. Um, You know, there's so many churches that have like the attendance and giving report up on the back wall <laughs> from the previous Sunday. And I know it is a distraction from why people are really there. People get so concerned about how many people were there last Sunday and how much the church gave that they get distracted by that and aren't worshiping God. Right. Um, you know, things that matter. They're, they're, it's good for a church to have good stewardship. It's good for a church to know that the lights are on, are going to be on. But what's more important than the lights being on? The fact that you guys are together worshiping God. Right. That's. It, it doesn't matter if you're in the building, if you're in the parking lot, if you're at somebody's house, if you're on the beach. I I don't care where you are. What, the important thing is that you are worshiping God, not how many people were at the building. I think I've heard it said before that
1: sometimes people major in minors. Talking about, you know, when you go to college, you have your major, your your thing that you're your most important, uh, what you're focusing your studies on, and then your minor is something you just worry and care about a little bit, and so you study a little bit here and there. And I think a lot of times the, the church majors and minors and are maybe a little too worried or focused on the wrong things. And and maybe we see that here a little bit with the the account of Mary and Martha.
0: Yeah. So, what is good? What is good is worrying and pondering and focusing and choosing the things that are impactful for eternity and on eternity. Not the things that only matter for an hour a week, or once a year. And that's why Mary chose to
1: to sit at the Lord's feet and to, I would imagine, to listen to his instruction, you know. And Martha was probably feeling pretty justified in her frustration of not having any help from her sister. And when she went to Jesus and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? I think, oh, that, that's probably a mindset of a lot of people especially in the church, they feel like they're, they're doing all the serving alone and, you know, the church ought to be very thankful for, for the, the people that they have that do the serving. And even if it seems like mundane things, whether it's, uh, cleaning up the building and, and doing sweeping and mopping or, or running the sound system in the back, I know those guys get overlooked a lot of the time. I did that a lot growing up, you know, in like in middle school and high school and, uh, sometimes I probably wasn't as focused as I should have been back there, but
0: we talked about you know people getting angry and shoving people out of the church. Be careful what you say to the people in the sound booth <laughs> yeah. but
1: the but the point is we're talking about this idea of it's it's right to choose good over bad, but it can be wrong to choose good if you're neglecting what's best, yeah, and Martha here is maybe caught a little off guard that. Jesus said, "Mary has chosen the good part," or or maybe we would say, "Mary has chosen what's best," because she was there sitting at his feet, spending time with her Lord, rather than trying to do the right thing, the good thing, and and to serve and prepare the meal. And I imagine the 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 twelve disciples would have been there with him, traveling with Jesus as he was with Mary and Martha. So it was probably a a pretty good sized meal to prepare. If she probably had a lot on her plate, and boy, I know people have a lot on our plates today, so many responsibilities and things we, that have got to get done, but if we have so much on our plate, so many prior commitments and responsibilities that we don't have time to just sit at the Lord's feet sometimes and be in His Word, maybe we need to prioritize a little bit. Maybe we need to think about what's bad, what's good, what's
0: better, and, and what's best. Yeah, I mean, the Lord and Savior of the universe was there in their very presence And Martha listening, or sorry, Mary listening to the Lord had a major impact on eternity. What was for dinner and getting the plates set out in the right way, that's just for right then.
1: Even if it was uh, just a couple pieces of fish and some bread, I'm sure Jesus could have made
0: it work. Yeah. So you know what's impactful on eternity? Living for Jesus by bearing fruit, and so proving to be a disciple of Jesus. And we bear fruit, as we said 11 episodes ago, we bear th- fruit through Christian character, being Christ-like, through righteous living and deeds of kindness, through making disciples, and through praising and worshiping God. And we need to make sure that we are bearing fruit in all four of those ways. And I hope that you will take to heart the things that we've talked about today. Um, I hope that me and Jacob will really ponder the things we've talked about today, and, and it will you know, refresh us and keep us in line, too. Yeah, we want to do
1: this for us more so than for, for anybody else, that we're holding each other accountable, because we never want to come off as the experts telling you how to live your Christian life and bear fruit the pro- proper
0: way. It's something that we've got to work on, work on as well and I'm confident that I have several people, but I'm confident I have at least one, but I know of several people. Jacob's one of them. That is my rule of two, is my person that can hold me accountable and encourage me and be a companion in this walk of Christ. We hope that you have somebody in your life for that too. And if you don't trust God and, and ask him, you know, to to be that, there for you in that, but also to help you find somebody to be iron that sharpens you because iron sharpens iron. You got anything else? I think that's it. Really enjoyed this
1: one. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite scriptures, if you couldn't tell from how much I wanted to talk about it, the prayer unto the Lord of the harvest. So, yeah, I, 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 this is a, 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 a chapter of mine that I like to go back and, and reread, and especially that beginning part. So it
0: was good. Me and Jacob, thank you all for listening. We ask that you comment and like and subscribe and ask questions. All the all that good stuff, you know. And uh, we just remember to focus yourself on the right things, uh, things of eternal significance don't live your own selfish life people you know always say live your life don't live your own selfish life live life for jesus christ our lord you do you yeah (laughs) live life for jesus christ our lord go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples